Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in the Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with... He's back again, and I think for longer than an episode this time. Pete Wall's back with us, everyone, and that is very exciting. Yo. Uh, yeah, back on the mic. Um, having spent a couple of weeks away following the last episode that I had the, the pleasure of being on, um, I, I spent two weeks in Thailand, as you well know, Paul, um, which... As I've told you earlier today, was sort of a, the best of times and the worst of times, in so much as it's a beautiful country full of like incredible experiences. And then I got the worst food poisoning that I, I, I didn't even know food poisoning could be as serious <laughs> as it was. It, it put me almost completely out of action for, I'm going to say, six to seven days. Wow. I don't think that's normal, is it? No, that's, I mean, I've had food poisoning in the past. This isn't a food poisoning special, by the way. But um, yeah, I've had food poisoning in the past and 24 hours maybe in its past. Yeah. So yeah. six or seven days, you have my sympathy. It, it could mean, Paul, it could mean either the food poisoning was an unbelievably strong dose or that I'm just incredibly weak. I mean, either one of those <laughs> is, is quite possible. But something that certainly is not weak is the health of this here podcast, because we, well, we kind of put our heads together today and we thought we want to come back strong in terms of uh, as a duo and we want to lay some stuff out for the future as groundwork for the show so we've got some details on that coming up about now I guess Paul yes basically coming up now so if people who have listened to the show for a long time may remember that we well certainly will remember that we've dabbled with when we started having no format or any structure to speak of uh, and then we did have a structure and then I think our favorite structure personally for me uh, and I know this for you because we had a conversation about this off air, so it isn't a surprise to Pete, everyone. Uh, my personal favourite structure is when we uh, levelled the show like a trip through the cinema. If people remember that, hopefully you're ho at home listening going, yeah, that was by far the best structure they've had. Uh, and definitely I'm fully on board with them bringing that back. So that's what we're going to do, Pete. Pete, remind people what it is because it, it was your idea in the first place, one that I've always loved. So I'll give yeah. you the credit of uh, reminding people on perhaps as new listeners that haven't heard that structure Yeah, before, let's go so. way, way, way back. I mean, the, the very inception of the show in terms of us doing it as a in podcast format, at least, is that Strangers in Cinema represents um, the different people that you might encounter or indeed not encounter in the darkness of a cinema screen. So like we have all these shared experiences and we don't necessarily always get to share those experiences with other people. What we're trying to do with the show is share at least two people, three, four, or whoever else is on it, those experiences to connect with as many people as possible. So this is where in the past we had this format, which was we go on this kind of audio journey through the cinema and that is how we hang all the segments of each episode. So what we do is we start off with a section that sounds incredibly highfalutin and very British English, but it's called uh, In the Foyer. And in, in the foyer, Paul and I, or Paul and whoever, or myself and whoever who's on the show that week, will basically just shoot the breeze about the film world, what we've been thinking about that week, maybe news stories that crop up, anything of interest that is going to be a lead into the week in film. Once we get through that section, we move on to where you would naturally move if you were working your way through a cinema trip, which is, of course, the popcorn counter. Um, if you are the kind, of uh, the kind of flamboyant person who purchases popcorn for however much <laughs> they're charging these days, buy it from the shop, it's cheaper. But the popcorn counter gives us the chance to do a section called Popcorn Movies. In that section, we pop, pop, pop some reviews of 
whatever we want. Pop, pop. Yeah, whatever we want, basically, right, Paul? Like, it can be new stuff, but yeah. it can also be old stuff. It's sort of what we've been watching. It's, it's exactly the same yeah. as what we've been watching. We've with, just named it back to what it was called with before. A different name. But here's the movies. exciting thing, dear yeah. listener. We may or may not get a sting in the future that sounds like popping popcorn, and that's the main reason I wanted to bring it back. <laughs> then you get from the popcorn counter, of course, you're going to go into the cinema itself. But before the feature starts you're going to have some kind of trailers, coming attractions. So we do a section called Coming Attractions, very originally, in which we talk about some of the films that are going to come out soon, particularly, though, the ones that we think are worthy of your interest. We're not going to give loads of time maybe to um, major tentpole releases that aren't so much in the remit of Strangers in the Cinema as a show. Paul? Uh, yeah, and I think that's fair because... and the, So this section, as older listeners will know, not necessarily older in age, but longer-term listeners will know, used to be trailers we're excited about, but it's not going to be that. So don't expect a, re- a return to the trailer situation. This will be things that are coming out, basically. So we generally will record the show early part of a week, um, and then by the time it goes through it, it generally seems to go out on Fridays now. So it will be things that are out that week, generally speaking. So um, And tentpole releases, like, for example, I mean, we'll get to it later on. Fobbs and Shaw is a prime example of a film that we'll probably both go and see we probably will do a feature review of it next week, but no one needs reminding that film's coming out because if there's ever a film that's been over-promoted, it's Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So it will be so maybe stuff that's coming that's come to Curzon, more outhouse releases that we think maybe need a bit of a bump in attention and just a bit of a reminder that they're out yeah, there. Yeah, and that, that's exactly tying in with that idea of like connecting with other people and people who experience cinema because like we naturally gravitate and, and kind of across, I guess, what's coming out on Netflix, what's coming out on Curzon Home Cinema, what's coming out at, you know wide release and limited release at the cinema maybe or even movie exclusives now movie maybe exclusives he's got exclusive, as well could it, it? So, could yeah. even be like home video stuff Paul you're quite a one on you know home video and blu-ray releases yeah. and that kind of thing so anything that we think our listeners might want to hear about that's coming up in the next week and, and as you say Paul usually the episode's going to drop right when those releases are coming out yeah. so we hope that that's going to kind of connect listeners to things they might have forgotten are coming out, not be aware of, or just need, you know, an extra push of sort of um, excitement and sort of uh, anticipation for those those releases. After we finished then with the coming attraction section, of course, at the centre of any show or, or towards, I guess, the second half of the show, we're going to have at least one feature review. It tends to be on our show that we'll have often two features as sort of a co main event a co-feature the reason for that being that oftentimes it allows us to cover something a little bit bigger and maybe something a little bit smaller or something a little bit more mainstream and something a little bit more niche and really get our teeth into it and have a proper conversation about a couple of different movies that yeah we might not love them every week there could be times where we really rail against those movies but hopefully we provide like a variety of feature reviews to people who, who keep downloading the show then once we're finished with features we get to a final section it's simply called credits this is where the credits are rolling on your movie but in the case of our show it's going to be where Paul and I or whoever is featuring that week is able to completely free reign give credit to something from basically the world of pop culture at large that they think deserves more attention extra attention extra acclaim or that maybe just has flown under the radar for for you know listeners and and people who are connected and linked into the show so that could be anything from sort of um video games to uh TV shows to, of course, movies to, um, yeah, any number of things. And yeah. some weeks are going to be maybe more... It could be people working in films. It could be stunt coordinators that we like. It could be it, literally anything. Yeah. Basically anything we come up with that we think is great 
uh, we you know we will we will pay credit to in that section. It'll be a brief section. It won't be sort of full on reviews. We're not gonna we're not gonna suddenly blunder into doing video full on video game reviews in the show. We'll be a brief section just to wrap up at the end. Um, yeah, just just yeah. pointing people in the direction of things that are cool, basically, and things that yeah they might otherwise have missed, or you know, opening dialogue with with fans and listeners to the show who are already well aware of the things we talk about and want to engage on those topics. So, like the whole point of this show from the outset was to connect with other people. We're not here just jerking each other off for the sake of putting a thing out every <laughs> week and feeling like we you know achieve something from that. What we want to do is hopefully um, enlighten people a little bit on things they might not be aware of, but. Basically basically just be a part of a community with the people who support this show and so far you know both of us all of the people who've been involved in this massively appreciate any and all support that we get and hopefully in the future that can just grow and grow so yeah long story short we're back to the sort of inverted commas old format yeah um, the old the the old new format and long story short pete's back on the show which is great so uh i'm excited that you're back so thank you yeah you can tell by my Uh, slightly pressured speech that i've got a (laughs) I've got a great deal to say. I've been held back all this time, Paul, just yeah. muttering um, to myself. Also, there's something bothering me about today, um, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm wearing a plain t-shirt, Pete, and you're wearing a film t-shirt. This I don't know. Weird. I don't know what's happened. This is unusual. So I want to pay credit, and that's coming up to the end of the show. Though. I want to pay credit to Pete's Jaws t-shirt, and I'm wearing a plain t-shirt. It doesn't normally work like this, listeners. It's not interesting to anyone else, but it's something I've noticed. Yeah, but it really it, so. it paints a picture of words, doesn't it, Paul? Until we've actually got a YouTube video channel, we're going to have to do that kind of uh, audio descriptive stuff to give people an insight into the recording process. So, yeah, yeah th- th- this is very true. Now, let's do what we have promised and get into the first section of this week's show. Episode 139, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is episode 139. So that, that we've cheated a little bit because that section was this week's in the foyer section. Oh, so, of course it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was in the foyer. We, we don't need to introduce um, the foyer because that was it. Yeah. You were just you were just stood with us there in the foyer of the cinema where we were chatting about how we've rejigged our show back to what it used to be. Yeah. So, so thanks for listening. Uh, but there is a more entertaining show coming up. So we've got popcorn movies, um, and then we've got uh, coming attractions, as we've mentioned. Feature views this week will be The Lion King and the Netflix documentary The Great Hack. But before we get there, um, we're at the popcorn counter now. Yeah, we are. Uh, this leaves well leaves us to basically pick anything we want from movies that we've seen in the last sort of seven days or so since the last recording. Although for you that's a lot closer, and for me it's a bit further away. Paul, what's something that you've watched in the last little bit of time since I last spoke to you on this? Anyway, so this was a film that I have not seen since. When have I last seen this film? So this is the sorry, The Crying Game, uh, directed by Neil Jordan, which is a bit of a cult classic Brit thriller, I think. Um, would be my understanding of it. And I've not seen this film. I think I first watched this film when I did my media studies A-level back in 1998, <laughs> I think, or 1999. So around that time. So that's the last time I saw... That's That'll give you some indication of how old I am, if you don't already know. Uh, yeah, so that's the last time I saw Crying Game is when I did my... Uh, film studies a level years and years and years ago um so i was quite excited to watch this again and everyone is basically people say oh the crying game that's that's the film with a twist in it and i'm not going to ruin the twist should i ruin the twist no uh, pete what do you think i think people know what people it is know. but don't so, but don't help them to, yeah to so there is this this film is known for having a plot twist and to be honest i kind of i had just really remember because it's been so long since i've seen it all I could really remember from it 
I'll be honest, was was the plot twist. But thankfully, I'm pleased to say there is so much more to it than that. So this is directed, as I said, by Neil Jordan, uh, starring Stephen Rea, Jay Davidson, Forrest Whitaker and Miranda Richardson. Um, the film opens with Forrest Whitaker, a uh, British army infantryman, I guess, or serving serving British army member of the British Arms Forces, uh, gets abducted by, kind of, in, gets caught in a honey trap from Miranda Richardson's character uh, and gets abducted by the IRA and is held hostage um, by Stephen Rea's IRA sort of terrorists, basically. Um, they develop a bond. Um, Stephen Rea's character kind of develops a bond with him. Forrest Whitaker's character, Judy, starts talking about his girlfriend at home, played here by Jay Davison. Um, they develop a bond. Things go south. Um Stephen Rea's character thinks he escapes to London, then tries to look after Forrest Whitaker's character's other half. Um, so they meet and develop, and they meet and then develop a relationship themselves. So you've got the guy that is essentially responsible for the kidnapping and and mistreatment of Dill's boyfriend uh, falls in love with her, and they develop a relationship. Does that make sense, or have I completely jumbled I, that up into I'm a mess? Somewhat with you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thriller to be honest, and I think the the first half is very very tense when he's in captivity, uh, when Forrest Whitaker's char- Judy character has been captured. That's quite a tense thriller, and then what you get the film actually the film turns on its head, and you get quite a complex um, emotional relationship based film. And actually, so the twist there is a twist there is a spoiler here, and I will talk about the spoiler because it makes the film a lot more interesting. So look, listen, don't listen now if you don't want a spoiler. The spoiler is Forrest Whitaker's girlfriend, played by Jay Davison. Um, the Dill character it turns out to actually be a man and not a woman. And Stephen Rea's Farragher's character, the Irish terrorist, kind of is how he responds to oh, finding so that's out the, the information. Plot twist that you're not spoiling. Yes, although I did just announce <laughs> I did just announce spoilers, but okay, I think okay. well, it's it's important to talk about the film because what the film then does actually it's quite a sense it becomes then I think quite a sensitive portrayal of um, a transgender character. Um, and I think it does a really, really good job of that. And especially as it came out in 1992, it feels like it's very much ahead of its time. Yeah, to be um, fair, Paul, I think we've probably given listeners enough time to catch up with the crying game yeah, <laughs> where yeah, you can yeah. talk about it openly. And- yeah, and I think it's it's one of those films that I think in, initially, as I said, all I remembered was, that, oh, there's that bit where it turns out that she's a man after all. And actually, there's what I'm getting at is there's a lot more to this film than that. Um, it's not, I thought initially when I first went, oh, maybe it's just played for shock and it's a bit of a cheap twist. Not too dissimilar to the end of Sleepaway Camp, but it's handled much more, much more subtly than than a similar twist in Sleepaway Camp. Spoiler for that film as well, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely ahead of its time. I think Stephen Rea is a, quite an underrated actor, um, and I think Jay Davison gives a, a fantastic performance. You might know Jay Davison as Ra from Stargate as well, uh, the villain in Stargate, if that rings any bells at all. But yeah, if you haven't seen Crime Game for a while, definitely catch up with it. It's a certainly it's a very solid thriller, um, and I yeah, a genuinely really really. I said really, this, really good portrayal, and I think, and quite an important film. I said this to you before before we came on air, Paul. But this is one that is still passed me by uh, up until now. So yeah, I, I should get to it. But basically, um, you know, in support of, of what you've just said, it sounds as if it's a really solid thriller. Uh, aside from like like you, I think I came to it or have have thought of it a bit like, oh, I know what the plot twist is. So do I really need to watch? Well, the movie? Yeah, literally every time you bring up the crying game with someone, someone goes, oh, it's that's the one with the girl, with the dick, isn't it? Like. And but there is more to it than that, and it's a mm. it's a much better film than just that twist. And yeah, if you haven't seen it for a while, it's well worth revisiting. 
So for me, first out on popcorn movies this week, I've got a, a weird little movie called Peel. I don't think many people are going to catch up with this because um, I've, well, I saw it because it was on the plane when I went on my trip. Is this a biopic about Jordan Peel? It is not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> certainly not that. I don't think. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of his actual childhood, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking it wasn't like this. Right. Uh, it is available at the moment. I am reliably informed to rent or buy from Amazon Prime for a few quid. So, you, you know, you can find it there, but I'm sure it'll be streaming somewhere at some point soon. Uh, this is a 2019 release starring Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch being an actor that people know from stuff like Into the Wild um, and um, what was the really brightly coloured Speed Racer, right? He was in that, yep. wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but then a guy who has been um, in quite a lot of hot water, self self inflicted hot water, I guess, from his um, apparent uh, sort of violent, weird, violent assault of a female film producer at a, uh, some sort of Hollywood party. Um, that notwithstanding, I. I want to talk about Emile Hirsch as an actor and, and just put that to one side and park it for a second, I guess. Yeah. He's not a guy that I've ever found particularly compelling. And I would say uh, Peel is maybe, uh, for me, the, the, the most interesting uh, version of Emile Hirsch that I've witnessed. It's a really challenging role. What you've got here is this guy who is raised as a child by a dysfunctional uh, set of parents and his dad abandons the family when he's about five or six years old, I think. He takes with him the two other brothers that Peel, the character Peel, has grown up with, uh, leaving the youngest of the three all on his own with a mother who has a lot on her plate and a lot of issues that she's wrestling with herself. And she, to be honest, not really fit to raise him in any particularly supportive, um, you know, grounded way. So he grows into this quite reclusive, um, developmentally challenged young man and by the time he hits his 30s his mother's passed away and he finds himself inheriting her house but not really in possession of a great deal of you know what you might call life skills from this point the movie kicks into i would say high gear but it's really not a high gear this is very much a sort of um uh almost like a mumble corey type movie okay. but uh then if you think about something like napoleon dynamite like it's a bit of a crude comparison but like a movie like that that mumbles its way through quite a lot of um quite funny almost laugh out loud moments but never really announces those moments they're yeah. all downplayed in this case uh peels joined by a hispanic character who only speaks in spanish and seems to be about 50 years old who moves in as a housemate right. and then a guy played by the actor jack casey who's like um a sort of southern man who is very um if you listen to him, very capable of like charming women and living, you know, the life of a renegade. But in reality is actually, uh, I think, maybe a little bit of a loser, like maybe more than he'd admit. And these guys try and reinvigorate Peel and sort of bring him into society. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very odd film. Uh, it's a very odd film. It's a very quiet film. Like I said, it doesn't really shout about its punchlines or anything like that. But I, I liked it. I warmed to it and I found it quite amusing and then also at some points fairly um fairly sad and fairly upsetting it's not brilliant it's not going to blow you away but it's that kind of oddity that i would sort of push on people because i think that you can get something out of it if you like your movies maybe a little bit more understated yeah. and uh, esoteric and um yeah out there uh, that one's peel from 2019 paul what else have you got uh, so the other thing I caught up with, which again is a film I haven't seen for years, I can't remember the specific time I watched this, but it was a very long time ago. Again, this is Todd Solon's Happiness. Um, you've seen this. Talking about esoteric, weird movies. Yeah. Todd Solon's <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. 
that leads into it pretty well, to be fair. Um, so cast-wise, uh, Jane Adams, John Lofwit, uh, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. So sad that he's gone because you remember every time I watch a film with him in, was reminded of what an incredible talent he was. Uh, I would say a career best turn from Dylan Baker, uh, Lara Flynn Boyle. Um, who else is in this? Ben Gazzara is probably someone else you'd recognise. Molly Shannon. It's quite a, yeah, it's quite a, a starry cast to be fair. Um, for anyone who knows the work of Todd Solondz, you should know that um, he's not an easygoing filmmaker, and I would say has the blackest of black sense of humours. Pete, would that be fair in terms of? Is, yeah, yeah, really dark. Yeah, yeah really. Dark. Um, yeah, he, do, he doesn't hold back in his subject matter. This film essentially focuses around. Um, Several, several individuals' lives who intertwine. Um, and basically, they're, they're kind of just an incredibly... Uns, kind of focuses really on quite an unstable family, really, doesn't it? Led by... With Dylan Baker, um, who plays a... Is he a doctor in this? Hmm. Yeah. Isn't he like a paediatrician, maybe? Yeah, I'm I'm like feeling he is now. That. Yeah, I'm the one that watched it recently, so I don't know why I'm struggling to set this one up. <laughs> yes, so, yeah, so basically, yeah, it, about... It, as most Todd, Todd Solomon's films are, it's focused around a bunch of very dysfunctional individuals. Um, the I would say almost the majority of the film focuses on Dylan Baker's character, who is uh, a very well-to-do man. I believe he's a doctor in this. I'm pretty confident he is. Um, who has designs on other people's children. Um, and the film doesn't shy away from sharing these designs. Then you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, who is essentially um, a creepy loser who lives in a flat by himself and kind of makes... A, sexually harassing phone calls to a number of women um and yeah and then you've got a, a, a woman a, a younger woman who's got a crippling lack of, lack of confidence um and yeah that kind of completes the set of these very dysfunctional characters um yeah for me career best term from dylan baker i think as i've said as as the the doctor that's a pedophile and it's just it's yeah, it's not going to be a film for everyone, with without a shadow of a doubt. And I know that's a very easy term to bandy around, but it really isn't. And I mean, that I can understand why people wouldn't find this subject matter funny. Um, and, you know, if you don't like it, don't watch it. This doesn't mean it shouldn't exist, but if you don't like it, don't watch it. So if you don't have a dark sense of humour, you won't find anything here. If you do have a black sense of humour, I think Happiness is a fantastic film. I think it's, um, I think it's one of if not better, it's probably similar to American... The best thing I can compare it to is probably American Beauty, I think. And the older the film gets, the more it evokes that kind of work for me. And I think, if anything, it could well be a better film than American Beauty. Certainly because a darker it, film than American yeah, Beauty. Yeah, because it, because it is it is just a no, an absolutely no-holds-barred black comedy, but also sort of a satirical element that, actually, although these people people may look, look like they've got everything on the outside, actually... It doesn't mean they have, and there is a lot. There's a there's an underbelly to to what's going on in American society, and I think it focuses. It goes the extreme route to highlight that for sure. Yeah, I mean, Salons um, is the kind of director where even the name it, itself is a sort of in joke. Yeah, isn't it? like <laughs> ha happiness is less so. This is a film about happiness, and more so a film about the impossibility of finding happiness or yeah. people's eternal struggle to find that and sort of try to convince themselves that that's what they found when really, yeah, they might be very far from from that. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, yeah, it's a very clever film. It's an incredibly sharply written film, um, without a doubt. And I don't think it's aged. I don't think it's aged today. In all honesty, I don't think there's many other directors uh, out there like Todd Solondz. In all honesty, um, and nor should there be, because if everything was like this, I think it would they would lose their edge. But yeah, it's a, it's an edgy black comedy. I think it's probably this my favourite film of his that I've seen. Um, I didn't go much on the sequel, Life in Wartime. I'll be honest, but I think 
but maybe with Life in Wartime, I hadn't watched Happiness beforehand, and I didn't clock it was a sequel to Happiness. Did you watch Wiener Dog? Didn't, didn't I talk? About no, I haven't. You did talk about that on this. I haven't seen Wiener Dog yet. I did watch Dark Horse, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, Happiness is great. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, but be prepared. It is you need uh, a strong stomach and a like for black comedy. It, it always makes a thing fall <laughs> about, and you know who who I'm talking about here. But my my sister, um, bless her heart. She uh, brought a date back to our house when she was about 15 or 16, I guess, and, and I was a few years younger, and went to the video store, Blockbusters, when that was still a thing, and just rented a movie, I guess, kind of at random or based off the box art, and it was the portmanteau Todd Salon's film Storytelling, um, which, again, yeah. listeners out there, some people would have seen that and will understand why that doesn't really work as a teenage <laughs> yeah. date movie. Um, okay, lastly for me on Popcorn Movies this week, I'll keep it brief. This one is called Versus, as in V-S dot. It is a uh, UK battle rap movie with, um, uh, well, at its centre, the actor Connor Swindles playing a character called Adam. Now, this guy you'll know if you watch that Netflix series Sex Education. Did you see that, Paul? No. Sex Education. Down there. Well, like... <laughs> well, Sex Education is the one with uh, Gillian Anderson and stuff, right? Uh, uh, okay. It, yeah. it stars uh, Connor Swindles playing a disillusioned young man called Adam. And in this, Connor Swindles plays a disillusioned young man called Adam. But in this case, he is looking to find something to cling on to. Um, he's got a very troubled relationship with his mother to the extent that at one point he claims she's dead, even though she is in fact alive and kicking because, um, yeah, his father's long gone and his mother and himself have got a kind of fractured, fractious relationship. Uh, he finds a bit of an olive branch from the battle rap scene in right. South End, I think that they are, uh, through a woman that he meets at a, a sort of gaming arcade. And soon realises that he actually has a bit of a talent for writing bars. You know, people who don't know, I don't think that's many of you, uh, battle rapping, essentially putting two people in front of each other. They do research on each other so that they can say the most horrible things possible <laughs> about each other in hopes of making the other guy choke so that he can't deliver his lines, looks really bad and loses the battle. Uh, I think, given that this guy isn't a battle rapper, Connor Swindles does a pretty decent job of not looking ridiculous okay. doing what he's doing, which would have been the first pitch fall of a movie well that would have killed it completely Uh, absolutely and then for people who are aware of like the battle rap scene particularly the uk battle rap scene the biggest organization for the longest time the last sort of decade i guess is an organization called don't flop and from that organization people like um shoddy horror like came to some like prominence not mainstream prominence but prominence in battle rapping here and over the channel uh, over the channel over the atlantic uh, in Canada and the US. Uh, Shotty Horror's in this movie, uh, so that that's nice. Uh, a couple of other faces as well from that same organisation crop up here. The battles themselves are decent. They use a couple of Don't Flop venues, which you'll notice if you've watched those Don't Flop videos on YouTube, That that's kind of a nice tie-in to the actual scene. Uh, some of the punchlines are actually decent and it feels like some some battlers have given punchlines. Some effort's gone into the writing of it to make it a seem little more bit, yeah. I mean, some of, yeah. It's, some of it's cringy, as you'd expect. Some of it's bad writing, but then loads of battle raps are shit and like <laughs> loads of bars are shit and loads of punchlines are shit. Yeah. So I think it was a pretty good... Um, you know, uh, facsimile of, of what you might expect from a movie that dramatises that scene. Uh, if you like rap, if you like battle rap, there's enough for you here. There's a sort of um, social realist plot going on in the background that, you know, d- does enough to keep your interest, to get you to the next battle. Uh, people will compare it to 8 Mile. It's not 
particularly similar to 8 Mile, although I believe there's an American movie called Bodied that I haven't seen yet, right. which is supposed to be this American and a bit better. Right, so okay. that remains to be seen, and I'll review it in probably popcorn movies in the future if I get round to it. But yeah, that one's called Versus, and that one is streaming at the moment on Netflix. So yeah, if you if any of that sounds cool, then like check it out, because it's there for you. Nice, I might do that. That brings us to the end, then, of the popcorn movies section, which means we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back in just a moment with the next section, which we know as Coming Attractions. So, back we are, after our little breather there, which was much needed in this very hot studio stroke Pete's spare room. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, so, as we promised, we've got coming attractions. So, bear with us on this one, because this is a new section to us, and we're doing this in a slightly different way to the way we've done it before. So, if we mess it all up, apologies, but I think we should be fine. Um, we're going to run down some films that are out this week. Um, do you want to start, Pete? Yeah, sure. So what we'll do is we'll whittle down from sort of wide release major things to maybe smaller things that you might otherwise miss. So starting off with uh, the big one that Paul mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Fast and Furious Presents, I believe, colon Hobbs and Shaw. This is the latest with Dwayne The Rock Johnson pulling in dem dollars. Uh, I don't really... like. It's funny, Paul, because we both sort of... Um, assume oh yeah we don't need to say anything about this i don't really know what this movie is do you okay. know what it is i've seen the whole film because the rock is so guilty of over promoting his films like all the fast and furious films have so many trailers that i'm confident i've seen a bit of every set piece of this film so it's a spin-off starring luke Shaw, luke hobbs and deckard shaw who's played by jason statham here not not man united uh, left back luke shaw no not not man united left back luke shaw if i knew who that was i do know who that is um yeah no not him uh yeah um, the reason i'm excited for this is because Dwayne johnson's in it jason statham's in it it looks like a whole heap of fun it's directed by david leitch who co-directed the first john wick and directed atomic blonde and deadpool 2 and, and, and driss is in it as well idris elba plays a character called yep. Bri brixton yeah. <laughs> uh, so so we're in for that uh, and Isaac Gonzalez and a few people Eddie Marsden's in it uh, Rob Delaney's in it I mean they've like added people to the cast to like <laughs> keep it interesting I guess and to be honest with you I don't think it's a very well kept secret on my part that I basically love all the Fast and Furious movies from about Tokyo Drift onwards I don't know it may, maybe even from the beginning of the series like yeah they're really fucking dumb but I, I always get kind of jazzed it feels like at least they do that sort of thing that Tom Cruise does, where you know what you're getting, but they're yeah. going to go pedal to the metal yeah, I think in terms I, of what you're getting. I think I like them from five onwards. I didn't like the first one because it's a shameless rip-off of Point, Blank, uh, Point Break. Um, but from five onwards, I've enjoyed them. I didn't like number eight, but we'll see where this goes. But anyway, cool. uh, less about that because... We'll be reviewing that next week. Yeah, in addition on the wide releases things, there's also an animated feature called Charming about a sort of love quadrangle involving Prince Charming. Um, the only reason we mention it really is because uh, Sia's in it. Uh, as one of the voices here um, and Demi Lovato and some other big names uh, don't even know if it will get a future mention on this particular show uh, but not on my watch <laughs> it, it, it's out and Paul lest we forget some of our listeners have children um, <laughs> what else then if we come down into sort of limited releases um, things like Curzon and limited cinematic runs we've got a film called Balance Not Symmetry this one stars a bit of a um, I know a nothing about yours, this if I'm right? honest so. what's, what's the name of the girl though um, from Florida Project who is in this movie you're gonna remember right now no brianne brianne yeah it's not even particularly easy to pronounce i think when you're staring at it <laughs> she's the girl who was like an instagram model who was scouted and was in florida project her name is bria v v v v v v v v v vinate 
I'm going to Bria Vinati. 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 Good. We've done that. Bria. We've done her a favour there. Our, I think. Our main if you're listening, girl, if you're Bria. listening, Bria. Sorry. But yeah, yeah. Point being, it doesn't really matter how you pronounce her name. What matters is that Florida Project was really good, and that she's in another movie. Oh, I don't think she'd acted before Florida Project, had she? No, as I like just so. said, she was yeah. an Instagram model, wasn't she, Paul? And she got a scout for that movie. Uh, yeah, American student who's living in a privileged existence at Glasgow School of Art when her father unexpectedly dies. Uh, consumed with her loss, uh, she finds herself re-examining both her life and her inner circle. So it sounds like pretty gritty sort of dramatic material. Is this again. got the girl in it that hadn't acted before Florida Project? Oh, Bria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bria's in it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, right. What else have we got coming up this week? Um, the Red Sea Diving Resort uh, drops on Netflix. Um, now, this from the trailer looks like it might be okay. It's director I've not heard of, Gideon Raff. Uh, but the reason, main reason I'm excited about this is because, because. Omar from The Wire is in this, and I haven't seen Kenneth Michael Hall. Is that his That's name? That's right. Yeah. In a film for quite a while. Kenneth Michael Williams. Michael Kenneth Williams. I got his name completely wrong. <laughs> and, and Captain America, of course, yeah. is in this. And Captain America, Chris Evans is in this. So, yeah, it looks like it could be an interesting thriller. Ken- Michael Kenneth Williams is one of my favourite um, supporting actors. I think he should be a bigger star because he's an incredible actor. He's superb in The Wire and everything else he's done pretty much so yeah um looks like it might be running the mill thriller with a half decent cast so i'm intrigued by that one yeah and this is from um a director who i believe has worked on the production staff for homeland so it's uh, i think oh uh, is that his background 1977 okay. israel or something like that i think yeah. it was set in sort of like political intrigue and that kind of thing yeah so basically israel yeah so a team of mossad agents attempt to rescue ethiopian jewish refugees in sudan in 1977 is the premise of that one that's the red sea diving resort um, also, keeping it with Netflix, there is a new Pat Sarkett movie, um, Otherhood. Uh, she's made Boyhood. She just can't help herself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that one looks like a sort of uh, female-fronted uh, motherhood drama. But to be honest, I, I'm in as soon as Pat Sarkett's involved. That's Patricia Arquette to people who aren't in a, in a, in a circle. I was going to say to people who obviously don't know her personally. Yeah. Um, one that we've just skipped over, though, that to, to finish with is the movie Animals that's going to be on day and date release on Curzon and Limited Cinema. Cinematically, what do we know about animals, if anything, Paul? We know it stars Alia. Is it Alia? Alia Shawcat. Alia Shawcat, who uh, may, may maybe, be, yeah, course, yeah. maybe for of Arrested Development fame, yeah. um, who seems to be taking on some more interesting roles of late um, in an effort to branch out. Uh, it also stars an actress called Holiday Granger, who's not something I'm familiar with, and is based on a novel uh, of the same name by Emma Jane's um, Emma Jane Unsworth. This is directed by. Sophie Hyde, who, again, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with, but I think has made a bit of a splash um, with some earlier indie films, which I'm just desperately trying to find the name of. I was going to say, um, Holiday Um, Granger, you might know because she was in uh, My Cousin Rachel. um, Okay, I haven't seen that. With Rachel Rice. Uh, and Cinderella and, and various other credits. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks interesting. And as you say, Paul, Aaliyah Shawkat is doing a bunch of like interesting indie things. She did um, uh, Duck Butter with Leah Costa. She did that thing, Search Party, that was sort of a limited series that was cool. Um, a number of things she's been in have been interesting. I think she's pretty talented. So yeah, Animals, as we said, will be available both on limited cinematic release, but also on Curzon, who, if you don't know, and if you listen to this show, you would know, but have a thing called Curzon home cinema where generally you're able to um, watch at home any of their new releases for I believe 10 English pounds Paul yeah it's around that I think 12 pound if it's depending a slightly bigger release but yeah yeah. I mean it it, yeah it's it's not cheap but it's similar price to getting a cinema ticket absolutely and and there are certain things on there that 
Unless you live in the very most major of major cities, you might not get at all. So yeah. oftentimes it is just a good access point to a load of good cinema. So yeah. check it out. So Animals is on there. I'm intrigued by that, to be fair. So yeah, so that was Coming Attractions. Uh, we'll be back after this brief breather with our feature reviews. We'll start with The Lion King? Yeah, we'll start with The Lion King. So we'll be back after this with a review of John Favreau's The Lion King. So here we are, we're settled into our seats and we're ready for the first of two features, uh, a double bill for you this week. The first one we're going for, you might have heard of it, it's a little film called The Lion King, which has been remade, lovingly, adoringly remade by Mr. Remake himself at this point, John (laughs) Favreau. Uh, Remember him? He was was an actor, wasn't he? Uh, Yeah, The Lion King, what they've done here is a a fairly uh, jaw-dropping photorealistic approach to bringing this thing back to life if it indeed needed resuscitating from its sort of original Disney glory. Uh, This again is a Disney production, right? Yeah. Um, And we have a whole host of absolutely gigantic stars taking on some of the lead roles. You've got um, everyone from Donald Childish Gambino Glover um, playing Simba to Beyonce. You you may know her. You may know her from Uh, Destiny's Child if you've heard of that. Yeah, you may know her from Beyonce fame. (laughs) uh, Playing Nala. You've got uh, Seth Rogen as Pumbaa. You've got Chiwetel Ejiofor as as Scar. We've got John Oliver from The Daily Show and formerly The the Bugle podcast. Check it out. Uh, Playing Zazu, the the bird. James Earl Jones. We've got... um, uh, people that I'm not not remembering. Oh, Keegan-Michael Key, of course, uh, plays Kamari in this thing. Eric, Eric Andre is uh, Azizi. So, yeah, like a huge, huge array of names, uh, many more that we could mention as well. And they all come together in pursuit of, I guess, a new audience for The Lion King and a younger audience of kids, predominantly, who perhaps aren't aware or aren't as familiar with the source material, sort of seminal um, 90s animation the Lion King. Now, before we get into our opinions, because I think we're going to have some fairly mixed things to say about this one, let's just hear a little clip. I'm going to get one of those vultures one day. I'm going to get one. I don't know why it's so important to you. I just feel like it would make me feel better. <gasps> oh no, it's a little lion. That is not a lion. Well then go check it out. What is that it? That is not a lion. It's a furry bird. It looks like a lion. Yeah, that's not a lion. Let me get a closer look. Excuse me. Oh, all right, let me see what we're dealing with here. It's a lion! Run for your life, Pumba! It's a little lion! It gets bigger. Can we keep him? Can we please keep him? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I promise. I'll walk him every day. If he makes a little mess, I'll clean it up. You'll be be his little mess. He's going to eat you and then use my body as a toothpick. But one day, when he's big and strong, he'll be on our side. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out! Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Right, so getting into opinions... um, from the outset with with this film like we'll talk we'll get we'll get to this in a minute i guess so from the outset of this film i went into it and i was just like okay so the 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 film opens up i was just like my god this looks beautiful and i was just like okay it sounds incredible i quite like donald glover i thought he gave a good performance i was like beyonce and like the more you get into it because they they come into it as the older lions so i've got james l jones here this looks beautiful the music the music was evocative and i was immediately nostalgic for lion king and the whole, as I said, it just looks stunning. And I was just like, right, do you know what? Maybe I'm being too cynical about this. Maybe I'm, because I went into this thinking, do we need, do we really need 
a remake, another remake of a Disney animated film, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, and I thought, yes, do you know what? I've been won over by this. It looks incredible. It sounds incredible. The performances are good. I'm kind of into this. But as the film went on, I just sat there and realised that, no, we don't need this. We don't need this at all. I don't know how they can make such like a technical tour de force and I feel nothing throughout the whole film. And that almost feels like I'm summing up my review, getting to the end of my review. I'm not, I've got more to say, but I just felt nothing with this, Pete. It just left me completely cold. I sat there. I'm aware that the film started and finished, but I had no emotional engagement with it at all. Yeah, I think it's an interesting jumping off point because I basically just agree with you on this movie. But um, when you said we don't need this, do you think we need to think wider? And if we do try and think wider and think like, okay, if we take ourselves out of this as people who were growing up on the original animated movie, Mm. for a younger audience, does this serve a purpose? No, because it's not like it's not like you can't get The Lion King. It's not like it isn't. It's not like it's lost. It's not like suddenly, oh, there's all the original prints of The Lion King have been lost. It's out there. Yeah. Just re-release that. Yeah. And, right. and, and you're right. And it's it's hardly as if it's a sort of scratchy black and white silent no. feature. This is a, a lovingly, like beautifully animated movie that, as yeah. you, you rightfully say, has probably also had uh, restorative work done it since. Uh, I've, got, as... I've got the 4K Blu-ray. It looks fantastic. Right. And don't get me wrong. Like, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one of these guys that hates on Disney at all. And I am a massive fan. I need, sorry, I should have added that in the beginning. I'm a massive fan of the original Lion King. It's actually, I'd say one of my favourites, if not my favourite animated Disney film. So I'm I'm going into this as a fan. I'm not sitting there just shitting on Disney for the sake of shitting on Disney. Not at all. Yeah, and it, and it might seem like a, a weird um, left turn in terms of a comparison, but we remember when, and you'll remember, Paul, when Gus Van Zandt remade Psycho, mm. and when you watched that and realised, oh, what he's done here, for whatever his justifications are, is a almost exactly and sort of clinically precise shot-for-shot remake of the yeah. original. Sitting through that movie... The problem with that approach, or at least the headline problem with that approach is it keeps insistently reminding you of the qualities of the original film. So as we were sitting through this, a bit like you, Paul, I think I came into it thinking like, you know, I'm really really quite up for this. Like maybe I was even more positive than you think. I'm really quite up for this. I love The Lion King. And this is a new chance to just revel in what that is. But then, like you said, as you get through the movie, you start to feel like... This scene is that scene yeah. that I remember from that yeah. film, and I kind of enjoyed it more in that film. It had a bit more, a word that you used earlier on, I think, or what you were getting towards is like, it had more heart. Yeah. And and like you were saying, it made you feel more than this, and that's a problem. Particularly- well, it made me feel something. I mean, this this just left me feeling nothing, This and this is the problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, particularly to, to appeal to a, a younger audience, you've got to have big laughs and big emotional beats and I feel like the ones that you had at least in the emotional beats category are just lifted from the original movie now I guess that's a good way to transition into this film if it adds anything from where I was sitting it does add a few jokes that weren't in the original film and some that try at least a little bit to be um, contemporary did those work for you? Did that add much? Obviously, it hasn't turned you into a massive fan of the movie, but like, was there stuff here where you think, oh, actually, that's a, a you know two percent edge over the first film in this specific category? No, in all honesty, I don't think this this did anything particularly new. I think there's a I think there's a new song in there. I think that Beyonce's um, there's a new song in there. There's a longer dung beetle scene. I think where a dung beetle rolls some dung around for a bit. 
Um, but yeah, the new bits and the, the again the performances are fine. Don't get me wrong. Like the performance, they're not even bad performances. And I think um, kudos Chiwetelegi for a scar. I think it probably even gets close to surpassing Jeremy Lyons. Jeremy Jeremy Lyons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Lyons is a scar in the original. And I and there's nothing wrong with the performances. John Oliver's great in this, and I think he's he's quite funny. It's just the film has just no soul to it. And I, and also I don't think. I don't in terms of adding something to it I don't think the photo real CGI particularly works for this subject matter um it don't get me wrong it's a game changer in terms of what you can expect from CGI so look massive kudos to the team who made this made the effects for this film it's incredible it's in, for me it's a game changer and I'm normally quite critical very critical of CGI in films and I think here it is nigh on flawless like it is absolutely fantastic we have arrived at photorealism for me so great massively well done for how the film looks but I don't think it works I don't think the animals talking works because when you anthropomorphize these characters when they've got animated mouths it works you can imagine human dialogue coming out of them these animals are so accurate that when they move their mouths it's jarring it doesn't work yeah like human words do not come out of them John Oliver's the the toucan that John Oliver plays I forget the name of the character now um Zazu 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 yeah Zazu John Oliver's character it doesn't look like Zazu's talking even when Simba talks it doesn't look like Simba's talking because cat's mouths don't move in the way of human mouths so it doesn't work and that yeah. it massively detaches you from it I think. yeah no i completely agree with that i think that it's something that will start sort of scratching at you you know 15 10 minutes into once the, you notice it you're into fucked. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then i want to pick up on something you said because i think it's interesting with where we are now with the technology that you said you know this thing is a game changer in terms of photorealism so like kudos on how good it looks but I don't think this and the I felt nothing point are entirely separate because maybe mm. what we think, and we get this in, we talk about video games off air at least quite a lot, like you get more and more realistic and then at a certain point you realise maybe that photorealism isn't the pinnacle. And maybe in a thing yeah. like this where you're looking for heart and character and something beyond talking animals, uh, maybe actually you start to undercut that heart the more and more realistic all this stuff looks. I don't want to watch a David, a David Attenborough um, wildlife movie and then have them somehow edit the mouths so that the animals can be talking to each other. That would make me feel a little bit gross. Yeah. And, and here we're getting very close to that. And, and yet again, just another thing that makes you pine for, like you were saying, the look of hand-drawn animation. The look yeah. of it. Well, you sound like such a old yeah. guys. But I feel like maybe maybe we're wrong maybe we'll have you know younger listeners to this or people who know younger but i think the problem is who, because it, i think you've hit the nail on the head because it's so realistic the animals lose the character that yeah. they had in the animated than the that they had in the animated films they lose any sense of character they're just and I, I oh that of, looks like a warthog oh well, great well done you've made a photorealistic warthog but it doesn't mean it makes a great character for I, a film. I kind of felt a bit the same way about what he did with Jungle Book, although I do think that worked a little bit better. And I, and I think part of the reason that worked better is because you had a bland, uh, blanding, oh, Freudian slip, yeah. a blending of uh, live action stuff and yeah. then this CGI animated stuff. I, I enjoyed Jungle Book a lot more than I, I enjoyed I, I didn't King. massively go for that movie either, but it's certainly superior to this. Um, is there, like, I'm not you know, wanting to, to sort of scrape around for this too much. But is there anything particularly redeeming about this? Like, is there anything, if someone was, you know, a, a, a younger fan or, or somebody who maybe hasn't got such high standards, is there anything to recommend this movie, Paul? 
The performances are good. As I said, the, the, the individual elements on their own are good. I think the soundtrack, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not a huge Beyonce fan. I may find myself listening to the soundtrack again. I thought the soundtrack was, was quite well done. I didn't mind the, the new versions of the songs necessarily. But just as a whole, like the, uh, there were individual elements that were good. Stuart Charles Edgeful's performance is fantastic. That was the, the highlight for me for sure. But ju- it just didn't gel for me as a whole uh, at all. And I just, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it now, to be honest. I think back, I think back, and it wasn't that long ago I watched it. And I'm struggling to remember any of it because I just sort of sat down in the cinema. I was just like, oh, that was a film and then went home. And yeah, it's, it's, it's yet another reason why I'm very jaded at the cinema this summer. One thing that crossed my <laughs> mind, probably because I was under occupied by the movie, is that like uh, Donald Glover didn't need anything else to massage his ego. But the fact that this guy has gone from being this this writer on Thirty Rock and stuff as a young upstart in short shorts to penning some hip hop music to now being in a romantic relationship with Beyonce on screen <laughs> kind of feels like an ascent for the ages. Yeah. So uh, yeah, cool. I mean. I would say, and it's a very niche recommendation for this movie, it's one of those where it's kind of fun to listen out for the voice work. Uh, not just the yeah. quality of the voice work, I mean, but going like, where oh, do you stand on Where do you stand on these, these wider efforts? I don't see the point of them remaking these films unless they're going to do anything different with them. If they're it's, just going to make the same film again, I don't... I mean, I know there's a point, it is money, and they will make money. That is ultimately is why they make these. But surely they can do... I mean, these films are guaranteed a billion dollars at the box office every time they release one. So try and make something a bit different from it. Yeah, I, and like, I think, again, if, if the sort of theme to this review from the two of us, Paul, is that, like, there's a lack of heart here, there is something quite icky about the fact that we know that something that is such a big part of sort of our childhoods and that of many other people is, is here just one giant unit of product. And you're yeah. very aware of that from the outset. And like you say, if you could do something a bit more flary and a bit more creative and a bit more freewheeling with it, maybe you'd start to forget about that and think we're in a new era and well, what, there's no point remaking a film to remake that film shot for shot. It does, it's pointless. Yeah. It's, it doesn't work. There's no need to do it. Yeah. So mix it. I mean, Jungle Book at least mixed it up a little bit. Aladdin it was guilt, absolutely guilty of the same thing that Lion King was guilty of. It just didn't mix it up. And just, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not massively... I mean, I didn't even go to the cinema for Aladdin. And the reason I went to this is is because I'm a sucker. Because I like the original. <laughs> uh, and that's what they're doing, isn't it? So it's working on me too. But um, yeah... No, disappointing, lack of heart. Massively disappointing. Not loads to recommend it. Shame, missed opportunity, I think. Um, right, that brings us on then to the second half of our feature reviews, or the second piece of this puzzle, this two-piece puzzle, and that is a Netflix documentary going by the name The Great Hack. Now, Paul, I didn't even know you'd seen this movie when you suggested that we do it as a feature review today. But... Well, I suggested we did it as a feature review yesterday and then watched it last night, Pete. So, yes. Right. <laughs> nice. Savvy planning. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is the... Well, it was inevitable, wasn't it? I'm sure there were going to be many others. It is the documentation, uh, documentary uh, telling of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and the way in which that company, British-based company, was recruited um, not only by the Trump campaign, um, but previous to that by a couple of unseemly uh, election campaigns around the world, let's say, and then onwards to the Leave.eu Brexit campaign, although they like to distance themselves from that. Um, It's one of those where I think that if you're Joe Average, and I basically am a lot of the time um, when it comes to current affairs and stuff these days, 
Uh, you'll be aware of the name. You'll know who Cambridge Analytica are to some extent in terms yeah. of them being bad and not people that you should like or support. Um, and then the fact that this is all about big data and it's about the way in which you and me and everyone we know have our data routinely mined or a lot of the time just give it away for free by doing things like personality tests on the internet that then profile us yeah. in the future. Now, uh, we're going to get into the... It might sound a bit dry, but we're going to make it incredibly illuminating and fun. So but, this uh, is this is directed by Karim Aimer and Yehan Nojame. Easy for you to say, Paul. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes that's, that's... Who have made previous documentaries before, is my understanding, um, of which work I haven't seen. Um, well, I was just going to say, Paul, before we get on to our thoughts, let's hear just a little clip. Who has seen an advertisement that has convinced you that your microphone is listening to your conversations. All of your interactions, your credit card swipes, web searches, locations, likes, they're all collected in real time into a trillion dollar a year industry. The real game changer was Cambridge Analytica. They'd worked for the Trump campaign and for the Brexit campaign. They started using information warfare. Cambridge Analytica claimed to have 5,000 data points on every American voter. Right, so yeah, we will try and avoid this being dry and, and try and keep it on a discussion of the film itself rather than, you know, the, the issues around Cambridge Analytica. Um, I'm one of those people, Pete, that in all honesty, I was aware of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, I normally consider myself to be fairly well read in newspapers and, that, and, and the like. Um, but until I watched this film, I didn't really have a great... Und I didn't really... I, this film gave me a much better understanding of exactly what Cambridge Analytica are guilty of and gave me a much better understa understanding of the scale of this scandal. Um, and as a result of that, I thank the filmmakers because it laid out it laid it out in I think a really really simple to follow way, which is and it is quite a complicated subject if you look at how widely it spread, how many other countries Cambridge Analytica have apparently worked in and had influence on elections. So basically, Cambridge Analytica are taking users' data and have been hacking users' data without user permissions and creating content that basically swings elections. So in the as you mentioned earlier to the Trump campaign, Leave.eu, but in other developing nations, it turns out that they've been swinging elections by create basically creating like these these social media bubbles that that stops certain people turning out to vote so throwing an election the other way it's very very clever stuff don't get me wrong very very clever stuff and i had no idea any of this was going on and i think the film for me the, the, the first positive about the film for me i think it lays it out in a way that's quite easy to understand um it doesn't patronize you it, it doesn't it doesn't oversimplify it but at the same time it doesn't go into a lot of jargon, which I think it would have been easy for this film to do. Mm. Yeah, like like you touched on there, Paul, I think um, the thing maybe that uh, people, and again, including myself in this, like didn't fully realise is that it's not just the case that Cambridge Analytica or other companies, because this is just, you know, the lightning rod for the one that got caught yeah. organisations, <laughs> yeah. but uh, the, it's not just that they're taking data and crunching numbers and, and demographics and stuff like that. It's also that what they're doing is applying pressure then to very, very targeted groups of people. Yes. Like one of the things that I found most interesting in the entire documentary is when they showed the demographic breakdown of the United States and then how they were not targeting whole states. They were targeting areas of states and then the most, uh, I don't know what the word is they use in this, but like the most... Uh, 
influenceable yeah. I forget people. the name. They, just, they, they, they have, have a, people, some yeah. terminology for it. But the people yeah. basically who might change their minds yeah. or are sat on the fence or who don't really give a shit either way might be pushed in the direction. And then they go hard on those people because they can topple those dominoes mm. and then that will bring the whole region, which will bring the whole state, which will bring the whole election. So this stuff is like, you know, calculated to the point of uh, sociopathy or whatever, right? Uh and, and and that stuff is fairly like chastening to see sort of laid bare. And and I think by and large, like you said, Paul, I think it does a pretty good job of explaining how all that stuff works and introducing you to this girl, uh, Brittany Kaiser, who turns out uh, she's a great she's a great subject for this. I think it's she's really an interesting. interesting character. Yeah, Brittany Kaiser's this girl who seems like a pretty like mid sort of like very average Midwestern type caricature from somewhere in the United States who's just worked her way up. She was working on the Obama campaign. Then she was working for various like human rights campaigns and organisations. And then she started working for Trump. Yeah, it was like this yeah. kind of right on uh, sort of campaigner type. And then, yeah, got involved in, in the Trump campaign and, and Cambridge Analytica directly and then has gone on to be uh, what she's self-styles a whistleblower and what other people maybe dispute as such but like this girl who seems to have got in way above her head yeah and is now you know clinging on for dear life and hoping that she can manage her profile in some way where she can you know swerve out of this thing in the end but i guess my my reservation part on the documentary is and i often feel this um because uh, it's a bit uh, unavoidable when it comes to stuff that goes wide on like a netflix or something is maybe i wanted a bit more depth sometimes okay. i feel like it gets to um probing at cambridge analytica and then stops short of really getting into that organization as an organization rather than just throwing up it's interesting you say that though but i i don't think they could have got much deeper into the organization than they got because of all the way cambridge analytica handled it so they they what they I, there's yeah. a rumor that they declare they declared themselves insolvent to stop further investigation into what yeah, they were doing yeah. so you're right you're absolutely right it reminded me a bit like that of the the louis theroux documentary where he tries to investigate scientology and for me it was one of louis theroux's weaker documentaries because you get so little access to the Scientologists that you go, well, you haven't really got anything new to add than, than say, was in Going Clear or that kind of thing. So I yeah. don't think that's necessarily well, their fault. Well, yeah, and then I think one of the things, and I know not everybody was, you know, e equally um, positive about Going Clear, but one of the things I, I think worked about that is that you had this sort of on-the-ground stuff in mm. terms of, like, the hidden footage and the actual members yeah. of the group who'd been there. Whereas in this, yeah, you've got a couple of people who are whistleblowing, but it seems like they're talking heads who are kind of talking around what they're allowed to say well away from Cambridge Analytica at this point yeah and maybe we never get a real sense for me anyway of what it was like to be in that organization mm. other than people vaguely going like oh we didn't know how serious it was going to get and then on and on yeah so it's a bit like a sort of um you know spark notes on cambridge analytica but i guess that's probably about the ambition of the documentary as well because you're, you don't want to um put people off like the, the main audience you don't want to put people off by bombarding them with information no. so i feel like it was it was handled pretty well from that point of view really yeah no i, I think for, for me i was i was gripped from start to finish i think i liked it more than you um i yeah i thought it was again you know there needs to be we talk about this all the time even in documentary there needs to be some some structure of entertainment that makes the film entertaining and for me i was i was gripped from start to finish um and i thought it for me i think it presented enough information i think it presented enough information there's probably slightly more information out there perhaps but it made i think it, it will presents the information in such a way that if you then want to go out and find out more more information it kind of plants the seed for you um so from my perspective 
I thought it worked really, really well, um, and I thought it was it was an entertaining film as much as it was an insightful documentary. Do you think though there's a risk, and and this is not really a, a criticism levelled at the documentary, but do you think there's a risk when we have things like this on on sort of well Netflix? I say like Netflix, it literally is Netflix as the the predominant platform, right? Where we'll watch a documentary like this and we'll think like, oh yeah, I'm I'm quite informed on Cambridge Analytica now, like I understand that more, and then we'll do absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah, but that's not just Netflix. Is no, it? no, I, see, I, I said that going in. I'm not yeah. saying this is their fault or the documentary no. filmmakers' fault, but I feel like there is something in our in our culture now where we'll, you know, collectively we'll sort of well, suddenly you're an instant expert because you've watched one. Yeah, we'll have a couple of yeah. touchstone documentaries and be like, yeah. oh, I know all about that now. But you know, in terms of activating anyone to to you know lock down their personal information a little bit more, maybe that's not going to be. Well, I've deleted now. Facebook off my phone. Oh, so have I. So, oh, it since, works. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Weirdly enough, We're not yeah. Gonna be hacked. Disabled Facebook and, off my and phone. And I know, so, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you, yeah, you, dear listener, you're not going to be hacked either because you're smart and you listen to this. But yeah, like, <laughs> just stop, stop sharing all your stuff about, yeah? Like, sometimes when you get, you know, you have personal um, experiences in life or you have, like, things happen with your family and nearest and dearest, just enjoy them with your family and stuff, you know? <laughs> Don't put all the pictures online. Don't put statuses up all the time. No one really cares. You're screaming into the void. Keep it and have a chat. Like have yeah. a chat like this one, make and a podcast, it, and then put it on the internet yeah. where it can get hacked. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that leaves us then, Paul Anderson, only with uh, one section of the show remaining, and it is the section that we adoringly call credits, where we want to talk about something that we like from the world of films or pop culture. Though this week, I think we're going a slightly different direction, right? Yeah, we're going a slightly different direction because we were talking uh, off air and over WhatsApp over the past couple weeks or so when we've been planning to do the show where I'm just like, oh, I don't know about the new format because I'm really, really jaded by a lot of the films at the cinema at the moment. And I, this year has not been a good year for blockbusters, I don't think, in the slightest. Um, and I, it's not that I'm anti-blockbusters, I'm not, I, blockbusters can be great and I'm all for good ones, but this year has not been a good year and I've been a little bit jaded in terms of reviews I've been writing for, the, for another site that I write for, I've written less because I've just been a little bit jaded by films, so um, that's not to say I don't like films, so I've been looking elsewhere and Netflix, so basically Netflix is a thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, we mentioned it earlier on the show, um, we're just going to throw out, I just want to give a credit to a couple of hidden gems on Netflix you may or may not have seen. Um, and as the you, Pete, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Pete, chuck them in. I'm first. Okay. Um, yeah, one that I saw recently on the Netflix platform where I had a real moment of, like, I... I don't, I don't even know if I want people to go and watch it because they might think I'm really fucking weird that I like it so much. But uh, this movie, uh, now streaming, is called Piercing. Um, and it is from director Nicholas Pesci, who's made a film called The Eyes of My Mother, which I haven't seen. Um, but it stars Mia Wasikowska, who, um, you know, unless you've been asleep for a decade, you'll be aware of. Um, and then uh, an actor that I really quite like from, like, um, It Comes at Night and stuff like that, Christopher Abbott. Um, the pair of them are drawn together initially because the Abbott character wants to go on a trip away from his partner so that he can hire and then murder a prostitute. It's all uh, f- family-friendly right, stuff. Good. Um, yeah. And he encounters uh, the said uh, Lady of the Night, played by Mia Wasikowska, but he gets a lot more than he was expecting um, with this encounter. Now, 
This comes from a uh, source, short story, I believe, rather than full-length novel, from the same writer who wrote the um, source for the movie Audition. Okay. Uh, if you've seen that, the <laughs> yeah, Mika you have an movie, idea of what to then expect. you might know a bit the territory that we're in um, and the sort of twisted mind that gave birth to such a thing. Um, it's a movie about a whole heap of things. It's sort of about power and it's about control and it's about transference of control and it's about... Uh, the undermining of masculinity to a fairly large degree and I think that both of the leads in this Abbott and Vasikovska are really really good and it doesn't hang around I think it's an hour and 25 or something like that um, hour and 21 minutes really brief um, yeah it's it's a film I don't want to say too much about other than uh, just a little bit of a warning that if you are someone who doesn't like seeing Things pierce flesh, probably stay clear. Um, if you're not someone for like the sort of gorier elements um, or sort of body horror elements, then stay clear. Uh, otherwise, you know, jump in, player. Uh, yeah, piercing's really, really good. Nice. I, I liked it, and it and it was sort of one of those that I I was aware of for a long time coming in. And then because I hadn't heard too much fanfare, I was worried that it was going to be a bit of a deflating, disappointing experience. And it, for me, at least, very much wasn't. So, yeah, check it out. Cool. Uh, my first uh, hidden gem or recommendation, as it were, is Apostle uh, from last year, directed by Gareth Evans, who people will know from The Raid, uh, starring Dan Stevens. It is a a cult... Well, a cult... It's a cult horror, but there is also a cult in it. So a cult horror, basically. Uh, it's set, a cult cult horror. A cult cult horror, yes. Uh, set in 1905, a drifter on a dangerous mission to rescue his kidnapped sister tangles with a sinister cult, sinister religious cult on an isolated island. So uh, it was Midsummer that kind of reminded me of this, in fairness. Um, but I like this as much as I like Midsummer. In fact, I as I had such a good time with Apostle. I think it nearly made, it very much nearly made my top 10 films of last year. I just thought it was atmospheric. I thought the gore was incredibly well handled. Uh, and Gareth Evans, as directorial style, uh, is always entertaining. And I really, really like Dan Stevens as an actor. Uh, so, yeah, Apostle, if you haven't seen it, uh, especially if you do like your horrors gory, much like Piercing, uh, check Apostle out because I absolutely loved it. Yeah, same warning on that one, right? If you yeah. like stuff, <laughs> yeah. Piercing yeah. stuff, then yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the piercing uh, thing is, is, I guess, what I've got coming up next. This, uh, I want to cheat slightly and recommend a limited series because that's the kind of thing I like to do. Uh, but this one's streaming on Netflix and you've probably seen it on the front page. It's got a bit of a push. This one is When They See Us from director Ava DuVernay um, of the 13th documentary fame and so on. Um, it is as good as you've heard, if not better, I think, here. This uh, tells the story of the Central Park Five, these guys who were accused of a rape and murder, um, violence or sexual assault and murder in Central Park, and were then, uh, the five of them, accused... Uh, excuse me, charged with this, this sort of heinous crime and sent off to a combination of sort of juvie and adult prison dependent on their personal circumstances, all of them being sort of between 15 and 18, I think, at the yeah. time. Uh, this is a, a true story, but here it's dramatised. And the performances are uniformly really, really fantastic. Like, 
like I don't know if especially because the adult performances are great, but some of the kids in this who are playing sort of like fifteen year olds. One of the actors in this movie um, who was the middle section of Moonlight, who played the guy in the middle right, section okay. of Moonlight, I believe, not the protagonist, but the no. guy he has the relationship yep. with on the on the beach. Uh, he plays both the young and older version of okay. the same character, which is phenomenal because yeah. he's got to play everywhere from about 15 or 16 through mid-20s to later. Okay. Uh, really, really a striking performance. And what you get with When They See Us, like any good limited series, is you get to hang around with the story because you've got, what, four plus hours worth of this stuff. Um, and piece together, as you might expect from Ava DuVernay, in like this really fluid graceful poignant sort of um, lyrical way that brings home just the extent of injustice done to young people in the name of pinning something on someone so that people can have you know better crime statistics in the city um yeah it's really 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 great have you seen this yet no I'm yeah check I, it out i think i, I would really yeah. rush to it because i think it's the kind of thing that you can dip in and out you can watch an episode and then leave it a week and watch the next one you know and just yeah. go along with it like that you don't have to binge it in four hours but in terms of like series stuff that i've seen recently it's really right up there with the best of it and unlike a lot of the stuff we might recommend to each other or other friends and stuff you don't have to say oh just get through the first two series before yeah. it gets good or whatever you know it's it's pretty much you know great all the way through so yeah that's when they see us it's streaming now on netflix have you got any more? uh yeah and i think i talked i might have talked about this on a recent show but i'm going to talk about it again anyway just very briefly um if you're in the mood for an above average uh if not incredible sci-fi on netflix then i am mother i thought was all right in all honesty i think the uh <laughs> Well, no, you know... It's, <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if you're in the mood for an incredible sci-fi, <laughs> yeah. then this is okay. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, you know, if you're in the mood for an above-average sci-fi, not an incredible sci-fi, okay. then this is uh, this is okay. Like It, it shows potential, I think, in director Grant Spatore. Um, and certainly the practical effects work is, is absolutely fantastic here. So this stars uh, Hilary Swank, uh, Rose Byrne, um, and who was the lead in this? Clara Rugard, who I thought was great in this, in, in the kind of the leading role. Um, it's, it's a sci-fi with a twist in its tail basically um, a, a girl is raised by a robot in the seemingly post-apocalyptic environment and it looks like yeah and is the robot good or is the robot bad so we've seen this kind of thing before it wouldn't say the concept is particularly original but it's kind of the practical fact really that stood out for me and I think it's nice to see it's nice to see a mid-budget film where they've taken a lot of time with the practical effects work not yeah don't get me wrong not a classic but if you wake up with a slight hangover on a Sunday morning and you want a half decent sci-fi to watch then I Am Mother you could do a lot worse than I Am Mother cool and yeah, yeah just to recap if anyone missed this point all four of those recommendations are scream streaming right now on netflix yep. at least we should say netflix uk we're uk based and the catalog varies around the world but uh check them out uh, if you possibly can and we're going to be back or uh, you know at least 50 percent of this team is going to be back that can be guaranteed in a week's time for the i think Hobbs we'll both Shaw. i think we'll both be next back next week won't we that sounds quite likely yeah, yeah. yeah good uh, Hobbs yeah. and Shaw and any combination of the other movies that we talked about in coming attractions today so yes look forward to that. so join us then uh pete welcome back it's Ta. good to have you back uh yes in the meantime if you want to get in touch with us find us on social media at strangers cinema on twitter at Strange in the Cinema on Instagram and Facebook. Are we logging into Facebook now? We'll probably log back into Facebook. If you talk to us on Facebook, we'll ignore everything we said about Cambridge Analytica and log straight back in. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, if you want to email us, strangeinthecinema at gmail.com. But for now, we will see you next week. Shut up and sit down.